Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You were supposed to be a stick back in the day, and if you weren't, uh, that was a problem, I guess. But I just was so repulsed by all of that. I thought it was so wrong. I was chased in an airport one time by all these paparazzi screaming at me, fat girl, fat girl. And I remember thinking, like, besides being terrified and being very, very uncomfortable, I remember thinking, God, what are you going to go home and tell your kids? Like, today, I called a very young, healthy woman who looks perfectly natural and fine, fat. Welcome back to Beautiful Lives, the podcast in which I, Madeleine Spencer, invite a guest to join me to talk about their life and to explore the relationship they've had with their appearance along the way. Today's guest is the actress and activist Alicia Silverstone. Now, many of you will, like me, immediately think of Cher Horowitz from Clueless when you think of Alicia. And I was surprised to learn during our chat that the two couldn't be more different in all but one respect. One of the things you might not know about Alicia is how much work she does to promote animal welfare. As you'll hear, this has informed lots of her choices over the years, from what she eats, to what she wears, to what she does with her platform. While talking to Alicia, I discovered she really is someone who values the simple things like a walk with her dog or a cuddle in front of the TV, you know, the good stuff and enjoying life in that way. In fact, she'd much rather be doing one of those things than putting on makeup and explains her philosophy towards her parents in the episode, including why she's determined to let her face age without intervention. But more on that in today's episode. I'm delighted that this episode is once more powered by the modern British skincare brand Amly and will be back at the end to remind you of some of my favourite products and to share the discount code with you that will give you 22% off their products. But for now, here's Alicia. Right, Alicia, hi, welcome to the show. So I'm going to start you in your childhood and ask who, if anyone, you aspired to look like um, or who you idolized, either someone famous or not famous. Well, I my mom was my hero. I mm-hmm. also was insane and thought that Olivia Newton-John was really my mom because my mom was a flight attendant and she'd go away. And I made up a story in my mind that maybe she was really Olivia Newton-John. She was going to go do concerts. But I was like five at this point. And probably when I was 12, I really liked Madonna. That's who I dressed to like. And with Olivia Newton-John, were you the kid who was like singing along to the Grease soundtrack and like inhabiting that? Let's get physical, physical. That was the song at the moment. (laughs) We had no idea what it meant. Also, I was singing Like a Virgin when I was five. Didn't know what I was doing at all. (laughs) (laughs) We were all there, Alicia. I did exactly the same. (laughs) One of the schools you attended was Beverly Hills High, which is coincidentally the same school that your character Cher Horowitz would attend. So what kind of teenager were you? And were there parallels with Cher being into makeup and fashion? 
I was the opposite of Cher, for sure. I had one green t-shirt that I wore to every single audition with a pair of jeans and sneakers. I was almost like a tomboy, not in sports or anything like that, just no interest in appearance. I think because I had been sort of taunted by other boys who said something like what good things were happening were because I was cute. So I was like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> like, I'll show you. I won't be cute ever. So I definitely didn't. Like when Clueless happened and I read that script, I thought I, I didn't like her. I just thought what a materialistic. My mom really was so caught. She always say, remember the wool? She's English. She was always trying not to waste things for the sake of financial, you know, saving and things like that. But she, that was my first taste of environmentalism, even though that's not why she meant to do it. She just didn't believe in wasting at all, which is so great, a mindset. So yeah, when I read that script, I went, oh, you know, but then I saw the heart and I saw that there was a way to really infuse the heart into the silliness of it all. And I knew that Amy really wanted that. And so, yeah, I, I was not like my character. I had no clothes, no makeup, nothing. <laughs> it was a very clever way to update um, Emma, actually. I remember watching it and I just read Emma at school and I was like, this is bizarre. There are loads of parallels. And then I realized that was actually intentional. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was really clever. It was really well, well done. I noticed that. I love that. Yeah. When you were younger, did you have a backup career in mind or was it always going to be you were going to be in the arts? Well, before I was going to be in the arts, I thought I might be a lawyer or a teacher. And in a way, the parts of what I loved most about that is sort of how I do my activism, you know. But I, once I learned that being a lawyer meant you had to read these crazy, huge books of information, I just sort of went, no, thanks. I just like the idea of fighting for good. And I also realized that not all lawyers fight for good now. So I had a young idea of what that was. And the teacher, I just thought it would be really neat to be in a group with kids and helping them. So the parts that I liked of it is I, I brought with me in my life, but... I didn't really have a backup plan. I didn't know that I was so young when I started acting. I don't know that I needed a backup plan yet. Although I did take a big leap of faith, but it wasn't conscious because I didn't, I kind of left school when I was really young and just kept working. Mm. And know. it is interesting that you say that you've, you've taken that sense of wanting to fight for something into your life, irrespective of not becoming a lawyer or a teacher, because actually... I think it's so good to have a sense of self that you can carry anywhere, irrespective of which career you do and use that. And I think that that's such a nice thing to hear and also really helpful to anyone listening who's sort of feeling maybe they're not in the career they hope to be in, but there's some core self in there that they want to use. Yes, absolutely. Your first prominent screen appearances were in The Crush and in the three Aerosmith videos. By the way, I have such a clear image of one of those Aerosmith videos where you're standing on like somewhere high and there's like a plaid shirt and those like big 90s jeans that everyone wanted. Is that how you looked as a teenager of the 90s? Was that the kind of aesthetic that you inhabited? Well, the funny thing was, like I said, I didn't have style and I, my boyfriend at the time was 10 years older than me. And so I was, and he was French and a hairdresser. And so I was 
16 and he was 26. And those were shoes he bought me. That was his shirt. I don't know where the pants were. I don't know if those were my jeans or his jeans or what the, but that outfit was directly out of my life from how he was dressing me. It's so interesting that they used to, in those days, like you would turn up in your outfit and they'd be like, yeah, that'll do. I feel like that wouldn't happen now. But they also had, I think they just liked that look. All the other clothes I wear in the video are not mine. Like they had other dresses and things that I wore, but that outfit was from Moise. Yeah. It's interesting though. That feels like the iconic one. That feels how, and also oddly how people want to look now again. Like people are really turning back to that fashion, aren't they? So 1995 and Clueless comes out. We all know it was a huge success, but living the aftermath of that coming out is a very different thing from people like me watching it on TV and being like, what a great film. So how did the success of it impact you as a person? You know, I never went into acting thinking that I was going to be known. Now there's a sort of culture around wanting to be famous or something. And we didn't have Instagram or any of these things where people could just be famous for nothing, right? (laughs) Like influencers or content creators. We didn't have that. People were known for their work. So I didn't have any desire to do anything but act. I just loved it. My parents were both English. They took me to the theater in the West End all the time, every summer. And I would watch these actors on stage and I was just mesmerized. And so that's what I thought I wanted to do. And I didn't even know what that was. And then when I found that acting was a way to release yourself like therapy, it was just therapeutic to express yourself and to be another person and have these big feelings was so freeing and exciting. When I did the crush and I started to get attention, it was odd because it felt a little uncomfortable. You know, people go, are you, that's the girl from the crush. And then the Aerosmith videos happened. And then it was, that's the Aerosmith chick. And I was like, excuse me, very serious. Um, And then it was clueless. It was, that's Alicia Silverstone. It was way too much for me. And I didn't have the tools that I think a lot of people do, the foundation to deal with it. And um, so, yeah, I wasn't so interested. I, I dug really deep into my activism, went to Africa to help elephants. I went to the rainforest in Peru to help the rainforest. And I dug really deep into activism, making all kinds of PSAs and became very focused on my passion for animals and the earth and children and people and wellness and all of that. And I just went really deep into that. And then at some point I realized, oh, I can do all of it. And there's a, I'm a more of a woman who can manage all of it now. So I started it all over again. So for you, the share image wasn't something that you felt any burden to keep up. You didn't feel you had to look a certain way or anything like that. No, but I know that people would have preferred that I had for sure. And I know that I was, you know, ridiculed for my body because it wasn't the way they wanted it to be. In what sense were you ridiculed? Oh, well, it's there was times where people in the press would call me fat girl. But it's funny because I'm actually larger now in my life than I ever was then. And no one has a problem with me anymore. But you were supposed to be a stick back in the day. And if you weren't, uh, that was a problem, I guess. But I just was so repulsed by all of that. I thought it was so wrong. I was chased in an airport one time by all these paparazzi screaming at me, fat girl, fat girl. And I remember thinking, like, besides being terrified and being very, very uncomfortable, I remember thinking, God, what are you going to go home and tell your kids? 
Like today, I called a very young, healthy woman who looks perfectly natural and fine, fat. What does that mean my daughter is? Who's probably not even as in shape as I am. You know, what is this? What are you doing? So I had a good sense of the wrongness of it. That was the good news. But that doesn't mean it doesn't get in your head. And so I just revolted against it all. I wasn't interested. Did you take any joy in things like makeup or perfume or things like that? Was that ever something that you found exciting? I mean, I remember in fifth grade, I used eyeliner when I was like 10. And I made fun of the other kids. Like, why are you putting eyeliner on? And I remember doing my hair very methodically at one stage. Again, I think I was 11. You know, when you put your hair on a ponytail and you need every single bump to be gone, like it has to be absolutely slick. I don't know what that's all about. It's not a style. Um, And then I put it a little bow. It was so silly. But other than that, like after that, I went to my green t-shirt stage. I never did my hair again. I still don't do my hair. The technique is sleeping on it wet and hoping for the best. Yeah, I was just thinking it looks exactly how I want my hair to look when I feel beachy. Oh, well, thank you. Um, It's an accident and I'm not sure it looks that great, but thanks. I think I've learned to really appreciate some of those things as a a woman. I think when I met Christian Siriano and went to his fashion show for the first time and I went because, you know, didn't have fur and he didn't have leather and he seemed quite conscious, more conscious than others in that regard. And I went and, um, and I remember it was, it was my first understanding that it could be art, that it was so masterful and beautiful. And if it wasn't so materialistic and destructive, I mean, that industry is so, it was so gross to me. That's why I never went to any of that stuff, but I saw a new side of it. And so my dream is that these talented, beautiful artists will use responsible materials and do good in this world. Cause unfortunately they're just turning out stuff that's damaging. And, um, especially with fast fashion. I mean, that's just horrific. So I buy all my clothes from the real, real, and I get everything used first. And then if I'm not doing that, I'm getting eco-friendly clothes, which you can find on my website, thekindlife.com. I have all these great eco brands that I think are so beautiful. They're doing such conscious work. But yeah, as a woman, when he started to dress me, I felt, wow, like I felt different in his clothes. And I think he understands the female body in such a beautiful way. My dog is literally on the table. Can you see him in the back? (laughs) I think he's senile. What are you doing up there? Um, (laughs) So I appreciated it a lot more. I I don't love the energy it requires, you know, to put makeup on and to get dressed and to shower, brushing your teeth. It's so much time and there's other things to be done. But I do it. And when I do, I feel good. When you say there's not much time, when you're at home just chilling, what would you rather be doing? Are you someone who'd rather be reading a book or going for a walk? If I gave you 20 minutes in a day and you didn't have to shower or brush your teeth, what would you do with it? I don't know how to explain myself because I play hard and I work really hard. And so if I'm not on an adventure where I'm full on just in the adventure, then, which I consider the play, then I'm trying to catch up on all the work. So I think in a day, if you said I could do anything, I mean, I don't know, I guess I would, I mean, I tr- I do try to go on walks with the dogs almost every day. So that's part of a routine. I love laying in the sun for like five minutes and just feeling that and breathing. That feels good. I love playing with the dogs. 
I would love a really gorgeous man that I think is amazing to say, we're going to watch a movie right now. And this is a movie we're going to watch and I snuggle. That would be so fun. Those are all things that are pure joy, like pure elemental sort of like in your body joy, aren't they? It's just a nice way to spend time. I really want to talk to you about this activism because it's a thread that runs through your life from very early on. And now it's a really big part of your life and, and advocating for animals is a really big part of your life. I wanted to go back though to like one of your early memories because you said that you had a dog, Samson, and you were like, how come we don't eat you? But, you know, people would eat another animal. Did you stop eating meat directly after? Was that the first thing you did? Did I stop eating meat after having that revelation with Samson? Yeah. So I had dabbled with it when I was like eight years old. My brother and I were coming home from England. And I remember while we were there in the countryside of of England, there was this really horrible crying. And we were out in the in the field, like in the farmland. And my I asked my mom what was going on. She said, I'm not sure. And then we asked the farmer, and he said, Oh, those are the the baby calves are being taken away from their mothers. And I was like, and I was eight, and I just went, What? Like, what? <laughs> and and I hadn't and the sound was deafening, you know, that this pain of mommy and child being separated. And now as a mother, I feel that, oh my God. But as a kid, I was like, you're terrible. Like I couldn't understand. And then I was on the plane going home with my brother and he started making the sounds of the lamb that I was eating. He was making lamb sounds. And it had never occurred to me that lamb was lamb or that chicken was chicken. And this was a rude awakening, you know? And I think all little people don't want to hurt animals. You know, they, that's our nature. We all love animals. If you put a little kid in a room with a cow and lock him in there, he's not going to come out having a steak or like gnawing on flesh. He's going to be snuggling the cow. (laughs) They're going to be best friends. And I think that's the nature of all children. And we just then sort of beat it out of them. It was a time where perhaps you had to beat it out of them because in order to survive. But our survival now is best on plants. We know that. And also that you can follow those compassionate impulses that you have. So anyway, I was a little girl and I, it occurred to me that I didn't want to do that. So I declared myself vegetarian, but there was no one around me who was vegetarian anywhere. So I didn't really know what I was doing. And I think I ate French fries and ice cream for like a year. And then at some point, I did what I call flirt in the kind diet. I call it flirting. My book is the kind diet. It's the state of curiosity. So I was trying really hard in my mind to be vegetarian, but I didn't know what I was doing. By the time I was 21, I really came to terms with it. And I saw how animals were raised for food. And this broke my whole being because I was young and innocent and I believed that people were good and that the world was good and that the government took care of you and that teachers taught you and that your parents would protect. Like I believed in all these concepts, but the rude awakening was there is an entire industry built on suffering and torture and it's all corporate corruption because 99% of all animal agriculture in our country is big corporate farming. It's not the little guy. 
So you're not protecting the little guy by eating your burger. You're protecting a billionaire, you know, and those people spend so much money on lobbying to make subsidies so that we can continue to provide meat at a cheap cost. But it's just a bit, it's a business deal between your taxpayers money and these corporate giants through the government. And that was a really hard awakening for me. And I just couldn't believe that we allowed this kind of suffering. And I know that if most people, I know for a fact that if most people witnessed how animals were killed, that they would never be okay with it. They just wouldn't. And if, you know, if you were sort of like, hey, hun, come to the table, have dinner. There's a burger and, and I'm going to watch you. You have to watch the burger be made. The kid would be like, no. You know what I mean? I, I think most people, adults would go, no, I don't want that. So anyway, that was my, that's my journey. And then when I did change my diet, my whole life changed. I mean, it was a miracle. I did it for the animals and I thought, oh, this is good karma. But actually I was on an asthma inhaler. I had allergy shots twice a week. My nails were really brittle and I had cystic acne, bronchitis, like three or four times a year, you know, all the normal things, antibiotics all the time. And uh, when I changed my diet, all of a sudden I didn't need an asthma inhaler anymore. I didn't need allergy shots anymore. My nails became so strong. My body got slimmed down naturally. Skin all cleared up. My eyes got really white. My hair got really thick. I remember people were saying to me, God, you're glowing. You look so different. And I felt different because I was standing in the power that I can choose what I believe. I didn't have a lot of self-worth. And I think we all struggle with that. And here I was saying, no, this is not okay with me. And I'm standing by it. I'm going to stand for something. And that was very empowering. Yeah. And you've made that a big part of your work there. I mean, you've mentioned the Kind Diet, which was a bestseller. And there's a Kind Life website. You've got the My Kind Organics line. I mean, this is a big thing for you. It's not just your personal stance. You're, you're rolling out this message. It was my personal thing. And what I found was that I was spending so much time trying to talk to people about it. And some people wanted to silence that. And then one day somebody came along and said, please write a book. And I said, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. I've been told to be quiet about this, you know? And they were like, no, tell your thing because this is important. And she really called this woman, Ruthann Sikander was an agent at UTA. And she said, no, you need to write this book. And so I did. And when I wrote the book, I was able to get everything out in a much more clear way so that I didn't have to go around talking about it anymore. You know, when I first went vegan, I was like, there's a fire, murder, like every day. And I don't think people really like to hear that. I'm a veggie too, and I have been for years and years for similar reasons. And people don't like to hear that. I feel like in a hundred years, we'll look back and think this was an insane thing that happened. But when I say that to people, they kind of go, oh, and glaze over. So it's quite hard <laughs> to like convince people if they're not on that mindset themselves. Yeah, you want to run around screaming to them. Did you see this? Will you watch this? Please care. Please care. And you can't do that. So ultimately, I learned that if they're interested, they'll come to you. That's a better place to use your energy is when they ask for it. And what better way to ask for it is if they choose to go buy your book. It really was a healthy thing for me because it made me relax. And that's how the kind mama was born too. I remember being in prenatal classes. Everyone would say their problems of what they had. And it was like gestational diabetes and really moody and, you know, hormonal stuff and like uh, swollen ankles and 
a hemorrhoids, right? And I would just be like, well, here's what you can do. At the end of class, I would write everybody a little thing of like, oh, for your hemorrhoids, you, if you eat this and stop eating that, oh, for this, if you eat this and stop eating that, just like my little personal prescriptions for everybody so that they could get better. Anyway, it just, I did a ton of research on all of these things to back up what I intuitively knew and what I experienced. Mm-hmm. My body healed when I changed my diet, plain and simple. Yeah. I mean, it gave me the most joy, spontaneous fits of joy, the greatest healing, the greatest connection to universe and myself and to people and compassion for all. And I dropped all my health problems. Like that's amazing. Right. But I also then did the research and found that the Harvard university, Harvard has massive studies on these things. There are medical journals all over that say the same thing I'm saying. And then there's these amazing athletes. Like, you know, there's a tennis player right now. He's killing it all over the world. Brokovich. Yeah. He, um, he's vegan. And that makes me so happy. You know, I think people are sort of becoming a bit more aware that actually strength isn't just one thing. It's not eating a big steak and being a man. There's just so much out there. There's so many athletes, so many cardiologists are changing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't tell you my mommy was in the hospital when she was on the end of her life. And there was a doctor who came in. He didn't know me. And he was said to her right away, you know, vegan diet. And I said, what are you talking about? I cannot believe you're talking about this right now. And he said, well, you know, as a cardiologist, I learned from Dr. Caldwell Esselstein. I'm like, I know him. And he was another surgeon who got so sick and tired of cutting people open. You know, he was just the one of the top surgeons in our country, cutting people mm-hmm. open, cutting people open, cut, giving them surgeries. And he finally went, what is it I can do to stop this? So he took all his energy and he started teaching them how to eat and how to cook. So when you'd come in and say, I have this heart problem, and he'd say, yes, you do. And you can have this surgery on this date. But if you want to avoid that surgery, here's what we can do in the meantime. Let's play this game. See if you can beat the surgery. And most of the time, they didn't have to have the surgery. Like, what a beautiful thing. This is not alone. This is happening more and more and more. On my podcast, The Real Heal, I have these amazing doctors talking about healing and what's possible. And they've changed their whole practices to help people. And it's really incredible. Yeah, it's really extraordinary. And I'm so glad that you've put so much time and energy into that because having your platform, it means you can actually, you know, talk to people quite widely. All I hope is that Like I just went and spoke in El Paso, Texas at this wellness conference and it was so lovely. And the best thing that can happen after something like that, because you don't know if people are going to be moved or not. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they wrote a letter to my agents just saying, thank you for this. But they said, like, people said they're going to try, they're going to change, they're going to read, they're going to, you know, and that's all I can ask is that we start the process of thinking, wow, I can live my best life. That's possible for me. That's all I can ask for is that people get the gift. Cause it's like, I feel like you and I have the secret, this incredible secret that is so life changing. And, you know, I could keep it to myself, but hey, I want to give it to everybody. Before I ask you the three questions I ask all my guests, I want to ask you just two things about your life at the moment. The first being, You've now carved out a reputation as quite a formidable stage actress. You had, I've never seen either of these, unfortunately, but when I was reading up on them, I was reading about the critics saying that your performance opposite Laura Linney in Time Stand Still is extraordinary and in David Mamet's Boston Marriage. Do you feel like that's the direction your career could take now? 
Well, thank you for bringing that up. I'm usually one who's asked to bring those things up. So thank you. I love theater so much. I've done eight plays and the plays that I've done have been so important to me. And I wish I could do more theater. I really do. The theater is a funny little close niche thing. Like they work with people that they know. And so the fact that I was in any of those plays is kind of a miracle. <laughs> but the Laura Linney, Time Stands Still, Donald Margulies saw me in a play. I had done Boston Marriage with David Mamet and then I did Speed the Plow. And Donald saw that play and then asked me to be part of his writer workshop for this play. That was the best. I mean, Boston Marriage was an amazing experience beyond for me as an actress. It really made me feel so... Like I, this is what I was meant to do. I would be reminded that I really, really felt like some kind of connection to the universe. I don't know, I just felt it. Like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Aside from all the work I do, like when I was writing my book and I was like, oh, this is, you know, that kind of thing too. But that artistic connection was that and you felt like that was, yeah. Yeah. And the good news is since having all those theater experiences, because when I would do theater, I was able to do something that I couldn't do in film that people weren't giving me. Like they gave me the chance in Clueless. But after that, it was harder to get parts that were juicy unless they wanted me to just do that again. There were a lot of teen movies that came after that that were not juicy or meaty. They just weren't interesting enough for me. But of the things I wanted to do, people probably thought, well, no, she can't do that because she's chair, you know? And, and so uh, once I started doing this theater and, and people saw me getting to do really stretching, then these really wonderful casting directors sort of got behind me. And that's how I started doing things like Yargos Lanthimos's film, Killing of a Sacred Deer. And I did American Woman, this really great show about, you know, 1975, women's liberation. It was so fun. And then I, my, you know, I did The Lodge and just all these sort of interesting, weird things. And that's where I've been going. I just got back from Holland doing a movie, these interesting filmmakers. And I did a movie with Benicio del Toro and Justin Timberlake that's on Netflix in the summer, hopefully it comes out. Wasn't that a slight reunion because you were in a film with Benicio del Toro years ago? It's an incredible life thing to have that happen all these years. I mean, I cannot, I would never have thought we would work together again. Never, ever, ever, ever. And it was so amazing. So yeah, it was an incredible experience. And I also wanted to ask, the conversation around aging has really come to the fore now. Everyone's talking about this. And as a prominent actress, your parents, as you said earlier, has been subject to comments. People look at you. That's part of your job. So what's your approach to aging and how do you feel about the conversation that's happening around it? I didn't know there was a conversation happening around it. What's happening around it? Well, now everyone has access to injectables, fillers, etc. I think more people are talking about is that the route that everyone goes down now? And then there's been this sort of counteraction where there's lots of people being like, oh, you know what? Like we are meant to age. So here's my face. I've got wrinkles. I'm doing, you know, and people are just saying, actually, there's nothing wrong with getting older and nothing wrong with being yes. a human being. I love that. That's great. I think it's really sad when we don't accept ourselves, right? We, I mean, yes, we can put makeup on and dress up nicely and, but nothing is going to be make you more beautiful than what's coming from your insides, right? Your soul, your health, the skin is radiating. Like, look at your beautiful glowy cheeks. That's not the makeup. That's your health. I wish if we could all get together as women and say, let's do this together. Let's all not do anything. If everyone did nothing, we could all be together in this beautiful process of aging. 
I know there are some people who have skilled technicians who are able to do this stuff, but in general, people look so freaky to me. Actresses, older women, they look all the same. There's a sort of, whatever they're doing, which I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing all kinds of things. There's a sort of similar kind of thing that happens to them and they don't look like themselves anymore. And it's sad when you've watched somebody, uh, an actress that you've loved and is so talented and you've watched them and then they just aren't quite themselves anymore because they're all blowed out or whatever they're done. So for me, my personal take on it is I don't want to do it because I want to be a grandmother when I'm a grandmother. If I'm playing someone who lives in a trailer, I don't know that someone who's in a trailer had a facelift and had like Botox in her head. Maybe, but I doubt it. I want to be able to be whatever. And I also, most importantly, want to be an example of what good, healthy living can look like and that it's natural. This this is a natural thing that happens and to love it. I was working with a DP, Thymius. He did Killing of Sacred Deer. And then we also did a movie together, The Lodge. We did both of those together. He's a Greek man. And the Europeans are so okay, I think, with aging and understanding the beauty of it. And I I remember making a joke to him because I was like, you think you might want to use a light? I am 40 something years old, you know? And he said, well, you didn't like how you looked in Killing of Sacred Deer? And I said, no, I look fine. But, you know, you could use a light here and there. He sort of said, like, you're so, he talked about the beauty of being exactly what you are and that it doesn't matter. And I just thought, oh my God, if every man was like you, but they're not. So, but I don't know if it's even men. I think it's women too. I think it's just our culture. Whatever people want to do, they should do, but I have no intention of doing anything. And the good news about aging is we all do it together. I'm going to ask you the three questions I ask all of my guests. First, what to your mind has been your greatest triumph, career or personal? my son. What one piece of advice would you give your younger self? To trust my instincts and to be vegan. (laughs) And name three people dead or alive who you'd like to have dinner with and why? I don't have a good answer to that one. First person who's ever said that. That's so interesting. Yeah, I I don't know. I'd have to think so hard. I get asked this question a lot and I don't know the answer to that question. I should probably put some thought into it. enjoyed my final episode of 2023. I love talking to Alicia and I think it's a fitting climax to the year. I'd like to say a big thank you to Amelie Botanicals for sponsoring this episode and to remind you that if you want to try any of their beautiful sensorial skincare, visit ameliebotanicals.co.uk and use the code BEAUTY22 for 22% off your first order. If you don't know where to start, I would really recommend the Eye Care Floral Water Cream or the All Over Radiance Moisturising Body Essence, both of which are ideal at this time of year to keep skin hydrated. Thanks for listening to the end of the podcast. There'll be more episodes of Beautiful Lives Along in the new year where I'll be speaking to Adam Reed, Emma Willis and Amanda Knox, among others. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 